Whew. Morning, church. Oh, man. If you're looking on the camera, I'm sweaty. It's warm, but also uh, I had a slight arm injury, so I feel like I was working a lot harder playing the uh, guitar than I usually do. Holy smokes. Let me get this all set up. It's great to see everybody. I know it's kind of a rainy, gross day in some regards, but it's beautiful somewhere weather-wise, so let's think about how beautiful it must be somewhere other than here. But I will say this, as we were talking this morning, we desperately needed the rain. So let's count it as a blessing, and as we walk through it and feel the cool on our face, uh, know that at least it's not 105 degrees and humid today, because it is not. As I mentioned, we'll be uh, wrapping up Malachi today, uh, Malachi 4. This will also wrap up our entire Majoring on the Miners sermon series. Next week, we'll be kicking it off with uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and if you're thinking, I thought these guys preached through bu- books of the Bible. I don't get it. That's true. The good thing about Sermon on the Mount is it's, it's even smaller than just one book of the Bible. It's like one segment of one book of the Bible. So it's going to be great. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, it is unbelievably rich with, with, uh, with teaching, uh, uh, ideas, and the way that we're supposed to approach and live our lives as believers, uh, how we treat others. Uh, and today, ironically, is going to kind of dovetail into that in some degree. It's this, uh, I'm not, not trying to compare Malachi 4 to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, rather. But there is this idea when it comes to the end of things as we know it, how do we want to present this to the world around us? Um, if you ever watch action movies where bad things come at the end of the world, there's usually somebody holding a sign that says the end is near. They're not doing anything, typically in these movies or in, 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 in the romantic culture. It's just holding a sign. It's just like announcing to everybody, the end is near. And like, so what? The end is near, so what? Well, what we want to talk about today is the so what. The end is near, fine. If you'll stipulate that, then maybe you're curious why, why we even care. Why do we even talk about it? Why is it in the word so much if it's not something that we should be ready to discuss Maybe even have it sometimes on our minds when we look at the state of things and we feel like we're on easy street, we've got plenty of time. Remember that here in Malachi 4, in just six verses, <laughs> it's the little subtitle is The Great Day of the Lord. It's a constant thing. It was something looked forward to by the Jews of this time. It's something that we too should look forward to with an understanding of what it really means. So with that, let's go ahead and dive in. I'm going to read. Malachi 4, and then we will uh, we'll talk through it. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we, we study a chapter like this, that we don't just tune it out and say, oh, it's, it's the day of the Lord, it's, it's revelation, it's end times, I've studied it, I know it. Um, 
Not to say that someone that studied this isn't well prepared to <laughs> understand what we're talking about today, Lord. But help us to, rem- to, to be reminded that re- remembering the end of things as we know it here on this earth is really a remembrance of things to come. To see the Lord in all of his fullness judge the world rightfully with all wisdom and all power and all truth and all goodness. That we, could, we can honestly say that you are a good, good father despite seeing what we see when we study the end times, Lord. Help us to know that part of our time together in the Word, in, in, in prayer, those times with you in study, Lord, that what we are trying to do is be able to square some of those circles up in our head that are very difficult when we look at the world around us. Thank you for this time together, Lord. In your sons, I pray. Amen. So there's a trend here. Uh, I feel like, this, as we, you know, Mike and I, we don't randomize this. We try to go every other week, but things come up and we reschedule, and it's part of the flexibility we have. But I feel like I've done a lot of these kind of end-time chapters, and it, it, there's a trend. Many of these prophecy books end with the end. What they're talking about, the things they want you to do now, hey, let's act right, let's get it together. Malachi was a call to leadership, a call to the, the, the populace at large. How do we interact with one another? How do we treat one another? How do we keep God in his proper place? How do we avoid, you know, making what seemingly small decisions that lead to massive catastrophes, causing things like exile because we are completely standing against our Father? At the end of a book like that, you might want to c- conclude, we in today's world probably want to conclude with something like that, but we'll be praying for you and uh, look forward to hearing how it's all going. They tend to end it with, but just know, eventually God will take care of all of this. All the the, 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 the discord between you and the world and you and the other people and the bad people and the, the frustrated folks, the, the folks that drive you up a wall. It's going to come to an end. All the hard work we're doing is not for eternity. It's for time. That's why a lot of prophecy books end with the end. It's not a coincidence. It's important. This isn't a, well, anyway, best wishes and remember the day of the Lord's coming. It's seriously, remember Remember the day of the Lord will come. All the things that you demand justice for now, you've got to put that aside and let God, God meet out that justice when he's ready to do it. Our time and effort on earth has a shelf life. Now, ironically, Elijah will be mentioned here. Elijah did get taken right to heaven, but that's not something the rest of us should be counting on. We will live and we will die. Now, if Jesus comes back before the death, all the better. Even so, come. Lord Jesus, come. But... That's saying if he does it, we'll die. Our time and our effort has a shelf life. What Malachi is encouraging the Jews at the time to do, what I'm encouraging us to do, is only for an amount of time that you're able to walk and talk and walk, do what you need to do on this earth. And when that time is over, the request to do so is over. We forget that. We tend to think we'll live forever, or at least live an exceedingly long time to where this isn't going to be a... a a, a, a cause of concern anymore, but that's not what Malachi is talking about. These final chapters are a reminder that everything, all the hurt, the frustration, the difficulty, perhaps the tedium, the isolation felt, even as you were serving God. We talked in a, a small group today about this book of remembrance, what an encouragement that must have been for those that were really sticking with God. They believed it in their heart, but they felt like everybody's just against me and I can't get anywhere and I'm oppressed. Like, well, let's write your name down. And w- when the time comes, You're going to be specially noted that today you stood. Having done all, you stood. That sounds good. What an encouragement that that would have been. 
But knowing for them that all the, all the trials and all the tribulations that you're suffering as a follower, as a believer, will come to an end. God will get his own people's back. He will take care of what needs done because that's how God is. And he can't tolerate it. You may think he's letting them get away with it, but he's not letting them get away with it. I love the way this is phrased. The day is coming burning like an oven. If you ever made something in an oven, this is, so number one here, the 100% chance of this happening. This isn't debated. This isn't, well, you know, depending. God may not come back and judge the world if the world can get its act together. No, God will come back and judge the world. The world will not get its act together. It must happen. The Bible is unequivocal here. This isn't something that we can pray away. It's not something we should try to pray away. The end should be welcomed. Even so, come. Please, God, square this up. We can't wait till you do it, but we will wait because we were told to wait. And while we're waiting, we'll do stuff that you asked us to do in the meantime. But man, are we excited for the second coming of Christ and the heralding of the end times and a, and a cleansing of everything, the annihilation of sin and death. This is good stuff. And much like an oven today, that's been preheated for this day. If you've ever made food in an oven, it's a wonderful analogy, I think, because you can't walk into your kitchen and say, it's time to bake the cookies. And boop, and the oven is now 400, let's begin. You've got to plan that out a little bit. And if you're over there mixing the cookies and you got the kids, when are the, when are the cookies ready? You know. The oven's not ready. I'm mixing this now while the oven's heated. Why didn't you start it sooner? Well, I didn't want to start it sooner. We had other things going on, right? I've got a plan. The cookies might be ready for 3 o'clock, but not before. But I want them now. What we see here is this oven is burning. It's ready. This fire has been stoked. God has prepared it. The time has come. The oven is warm. Let's bake the world, as it were. All the arrogant and all the evildoers. They're called out specifically. We talked about this in our small group. All the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. This is a Malachi 4.1. That day is coming. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So is it just those two? Just the arrogant and evildoers? No. <laughs> the day of the Lord will affect everybody. But he's bringing these two up, and he's been talking about these kinds of situations throughout the whole book. Just mentioned at the tail end of three, so it really dovetails into today nicely. But there are, these are people who are above the law, right? I'm, I'm just kind of maybe simplifying this, but arrogance is maybe I know the law. I'm, I'm super lawful. Uh, but I get away with a few things because I know the law so well, and I'm in charge of meeting out and making sure the law is being enforced, so I get to kind of do what I want. Uh, but I appear holy and upright because, you know, I'm so full of myself. I've got the whole law memorized. I know exactly what I'm doing. Evildoers would just disregard it completely. I know what the law is, and I simply don't care. There's two ways evildoers get away with things, right? Even in today's world. They either have enough money and power to make them go away, or they just continually are, they can't get caught, right? They, they are still in the midst of their evil doing, and they haven't been brought to justice by mankind. Those same problems existed then, too. You had people that believed in the Lord and knew what right and wrong were, and there were people that were doing wrong things, hurting the brothers, hurting their family, hurting the, the, the various tribes in, Jew, in, 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 in Israel's time. All these Jews were cheating one another, all this sort of things. And in the meantime, you had the people that were arrogant about the law and thought they were so smart and so good. They had money, they have status, we're, we're priests, we do, do whatever we want, we make the call. You know, if you don't do this, we won't put the sacrifice out, and then you won't get, you know, I need my... I need my expiation. You know, I brought the goat. Like, well, that's not a good goat. Plus, you're behind on your payments. And 
All of this nonsense. And you can imagine how frustrating this would be. Who do you turn to when the law is corrupt? The answer is God. <laughs> they still can't get it. When we finished yesterday in, in chapter 3, the tail end of chapter 3, kind of sound, I mentioned it in small group, kind of sounds like it's on the, the like, like a bolt-on to the end of an actual chapter 3. Well, they continue to whine. Yeah, but what about these other people? I mean, I'm on board. I know that this is good, but like they're bad. And they're getting away with it. And they're not just getting away with it. They're profiting from it. How can that stand? Enter Malachi 4. It will not stand. They will be stubble. They will be completely consumed in justice. You might think, oh, you put the wrong word there. It's supposed to be wrath or fire. Sure. <laughs> could be wrath, could be fire. That's what's being described here. But it's justice. They stood opposed to the Lord. They stood opposed to the Lord for a second too long, and now God is dealing with them, as He promised that He would. But for those that fear God's name, this is a beautiful image. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healings, healing in its wings. Man, what a promise. You'll notice it's not a promise that the day leaves you unscathed. I mean, we don't, we don't know. There'll be folks that'll be alive around for all we know, maybe endure some of this suffering for the Lord to be able to witness all the way to the last second as the fire is sweeping forward. They're still telling people the good news. But there's a there's healing in its wings. You will be restored. The promise here is you'll be restored and overjoyed. You will not worry about the slight burn that you encountered a few minutes or hours or days ago. That's all behind you now. You've been restored. The sun of healing has risen. I'm back. I'm better. I am I'm regenerated. I'm in my, 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 my final state. This is incredible. I, I won't die ever again. I get to live forever. But that's not all. It says we will tread down the wicked. Now this is tempting that, aha, you know, now we're in our, you know, our <coughs> restored bodies and now we you know, put on the brass knuckles and get to it. No. We don't have to, we don't have to fight. They're already ash. It's important to note that. And you shall tread down the wicked. If I said we're going to steamroll you, you might think, well, he's just going to you know, run me over or route me out. Good. No. You're literally going to tread them down. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act. God is going to make all those evildoers, the ones that have made your life so terrible all this time, that have stood ardently opposed to God, never knew God, didn't care, all about themselves, wanted to actively hurt God's people, were at war, filled with rage against God, are now ashes beneath your feet. There's no work to do here. We're treading upon them like I tread upon the floor. I didn't have to defeat the floor. The floor is there. That's what's happened. Now this should be so comforting. Some people will find it horrific. That's fair. I mean, the idea of, of me walking over the ashes of God's enemies, that's something in today's world that we would find kind of off-putting. But at this place, what we're seeing here is, is uh, there's no mixed messages here. It's not, could they have been redeemed? Uh, in today's world, you know, if I were to just go out and start thwarting my enemies with death, it would be a valid question of like, hey, maybe we, we shouldn't be murdering people we disagree with. We should probably try to counsel them wisely. That's not our role. Vengeance is the Lord's. What we see here is the Lord's vengeance. So the folks that, that we're walking upon in this place, in this day of the Lord, they had no interest in serving God. They weren't on the fence. They weren't, well, listen, I tried real hard, but I didn't know. They hated him. They were happy. They were happy to stand opposed to God. Enemies of the Lord and his people. 
God will handle his enemies and we will be in awe. I say that because it says you'll go out leaping like calves from the stall. Just so excited, excited. It's finally over. I can jump around. I'm young again, whatever. I know no pain, no nothing. Yeah, I see that there's a lot of bad stuff that's happened here, but this is God's justice. It's perfect. It's good. I have nothing to complain about. There's, there's not a doubt in my mind that what has transpired here is 100% the work of the Lord and is right because of it. But that said, there's still work to do. We're called here to remember the law in the midst of this. So after all this has come to pass, but, but for now, remember the law. Don't lose sight of how we must live now. It's tempting to perhaps get all consumed with the end of things, that something like this doesn't matter anymore. The joke that I made before is just hang the board. We'll go out and spend every day walking around town. Everybody, the end is near. I don't know what to do with it. I'm not growing in it or whatever else. I'm just, I know it's coming and I can't wait. That's fine. But for now, we're called to remember the law. Until we dwell with God again, we must obey. In our small group today, it was mentioned that obedience is one of the things that we see God holding in very high esteem. Very high esteem. We may not think that everything somebody does is righteous, for instance, but obedience matters. And what we see here is just a simple call to that. If the law says do it, do it. If Christ asks you to do it, do it. Be obedient. Be obedient. And know that God will not forsake you. Now, this may seem a little bit tricky that like, well, so what are we, do? What are we talking about here? Am I going to go out and witness to somebody and say, hey, I got good news for you. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's alive. He came, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. Through that, bore the wrath of God for all sin for all time. And they say, I don't quite get that. And say, well, I can't wait to tread on the ashes of you. No, that's not what we're called to do. We are not, there, there, there's no enemy there. There's no opposition there. But even if there was an opposition there, our call is the same. We pray, we intercede, we seek them out. We, if they don't want anything to do with us, then we move on. That's okay. But if, if there's an opportunity to tell somebody the good news, to help them realize that this day is real and that they probably don't want to be tread, tread under the feet of God's chosen people, you probably want to be the ones treading, then you need to get in this word. You need to be in prayer. You need to figure out which way is up. You need to sort that out. The Holy Spirit can still move. It's not too late. If you're hearing my words right now, it's not too late. This is grace that has given you another hour, minute, second to hear the truth of the word. But for those of us that are here and you feel stuck and I can't get anywhere and I'm saying I'm doing the work, but I just feel like opposition is coming from all sides and I, I'm getting cheated out of stuff and I'm getting bested every time I turn around, just know that God will not forsake us. And he makes mention here about Elijah. Now, there's not enough time really in the sermon to go into the history of Elijah, but he was an excellent prophet and was taken to heaven before he died. But Elijah is now mentioned throughout the Bible. So when we see Malachi saying Elijah will come back, the passage is debated hotly. Now, we don't need to get into it here. I don't know that it's fruitful. If we'd like to have a conversation about it, that's great. But a lot of people think that this prophecy points to Jesus as a type of Elijah because Jesus mentions this in Matthew. He talks about Elijah was sent and the people didn't even see him. doesn't matter. But the fundamental part of Elijah, what we see here is there was a servant of God, a prophet of God, a godly individual who is doing the work of the Lord, who will be sent back to encourage the believers. Yet another staple that says God will take care of his own. We have not been abandoned in the, in the deep end of the pool, treading water, hoping for the best. 
God is actively engaged. He will send encouragement as encouragement is required. And he's done this throughout history. When we get into, the, into Revelation, we see this notion of two witnesses reappearing in the city to proclaim the word of the Lord. Well, there are people doing that, right? But that's an encouragement to God's people under, under, underneath a great deal of duress during tribulation to see that God is still here. The truth is still here. It's still true. Nothing has changed except it has begun. The day of the Lord is unfolding. That might be terrifying. It might be scary. But our God desires that we follow him closely and we take great steps. That's it. Nothing changes. If the world begins to turn upside down tomorrow and this starts to happen, world gets dark, rivers turn to blood, you know what should change in our lives? Nothing. If something's going to change, we said, well, now, if that happened, then I'm probably going to get real busy. I'm going to start calling people and telling them the truth. Start today. Start today. If, I'm, if you think I'm just trying to scare you into serving God better, I'm not. I'm trying to encourage you <laughs> into serving God better because this, if this feels scary, it means we don't really understand what we're up against. For the believer, this is, a, this is a ticket home. This is out of this world that does nothing but, 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 but make things tougher. It's, it's, it's corrupt. It's, it, it, it's, it's irredeemable in many regards, and we know it because God's going to destroy it. He said so much. But the people that are here, for all we know, are redeemable, and that's what we're called to do. So when we see this passage about Elijah... It could well be that Elijah is going to come back and before the great and awesome day of the Lord and tell us all about what's the good news and encourage us. Could well be. Uh, but but it could, could just be that Elijah, something that is like an Elijah, maybe using Elijah's name, which is basically man of God, that there's going to always be men of God that are going to come and encourage you. This is going to happen throughout history. When you go somewhere and you visit, if you've ever had an experience where you've heard somebody telling you really good news, and they were able to speak some words of encouragement to you and you thought to yourself, yeah, we can do it. Well, I could... I think we're going to be able to pull this off. God, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm reinvigorated. I feel, I, feel, I feel encouraged deep in my soul. That's what is promised here. That's not from us. It's not from the person that did it. It's from God. So points to ponder. We should fear God, but not the end of the world. Now, that may seem, well, that's pretty, I mean, isn't God in charge of the, end of the world? That's true. That's true. But the end of the world... If we have a healthy fear of God, we, we, what we just talked about in Malachi 3, if the fear of the Lord is properly placed, then in the world there's nothing to fear. Because God's in control of that. The second one, we should share the good news, not false hope. I'll get into some more details on these. But we should share the good news, not false hope. Number three, we should keep the law, not compromise it to appease. And finally, we should long for heaven and not mourn for earth. Yeah, here's some amens. That's good. So first, we should fear God, not the end of the world. Um, to confess, I grew up with no assurance and terrible fear. I was born in 77, and I grew up uh, in the Cold, the Cold War era. Uh, there were TV movies about bombs and things going off and what would happen in America. And uh, I had no idea who Christ was. I wasn't involved in church, and I saw that stuff happening, and it was terrifying. Like, you got radiation sickness and all this kind of stuff, and now what will we do? I mean, like, really, really terrifying. The idea of the world ending by any means was crippling to me. It was all fear. There was no upside, right? If, if you do not know what happens after the end of the world, then the end of the world is all there is. And that finality is troubling, as well as it should be. 
I will say that many Christians claim a love for Christ but are terrified of his return. It will be a terrifying ordeal. I'm not trying to make light of this like it's going to be, uh, you know, skipping around as the world burns. That's not what's going on here. It's going to be horrific. The descriptions, the depictions that are in Revelation are, by any kind of worldly measure, awful. Just hard to look at, gross, grotesque, however you like to say it. But God's promise on the back end of that is so much more that we should not in any way fear that if we have our fear properly placed in the Lord. If we are squared away, if we know who God is, and we know that he will do what he said he will do, then all of this is not the end, but a means to an end. To that end, no pun intended, we should share the good news and not false hope. Um, this is another one that's very close to my heart. The good news is Jesus has accomplished all that is needed. If you've never heard that ever, welcome to reality. There is nothing required from you that has not been taken care of. It is all paid for. Now, we get to, we get to have this kind of awesome shake and bake I helped experience as we walk with the Lord in the world, but there's no procedure or process or protocol that any of us need to do in order to be presentable to God before we could be saved and, and, and altered by the Holy Spirit. That's not the case. It's all done. When he said it is finished, it was finished. And it's tempting to assuage people's fear of God's wrath with niceties and predictions. Instead of telling them the truth that Jesus Christ, he will have the power to save you forever. He's already paid for the sin. The Holy Spirit begins to work in you. The Father now passes you over. and You get eternal life with the Father forever. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's already done. That doesn't seem like enough. So what do we do? Is we start telling people things like, well... Until Israel's existed for 100 years, God can't come back. Uh, we start looking for things in the world. Well, remember, there's several towers of Babylon, and the seven hills haven't been rebuilt yet. And uh, I want to assuage your fear. I don't want to be fearful of a surprise into the world. So let's go find ways that we can basically tell somebody that God can't come back yet. It's not time yet. That's not what we are called to do, church. Now, if we want to get into the Word and study as believers and talk about things like that, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying let's not talk about the end times at all. But if our primary method of giving the world peace is a false hope or even a, if it ain't the good news, it ain't good enough. Let's say that. If I try to convince you that you've got more time than you've got, if I try to tell you that there's, you know, it's not going to be that bad. How could a river run red with blood? I heard a lot of this growing up. I read books that talked about this, trying to decode when the things are going to happen and who's going to start it, who's Antichrist going to be, and he had to have a mortal head wound. And this is All that stuff is, is somewhat interesting, but it is not the good news. What we are called to share with the lost world is the good news. If people have questions about that, we can answer those questions and talk about it. But we are not there to share false hope, not to let them think that they're going to get another 30 days or 30 minutes before God comes back because I've done some math and the Bible says that that's the case. The Bible does not say that. Everything that God needs to begin the end of the world is done and he can start it any time he darn well pleases. That is God's prerogative, not ours. You know how I know that? Because no man can know the hour. That's in the Word. If someone comes to you and says, I think I know the hour. Well, either they're not really a man or they don't know the hour. That's only the two, the two options that could be. 
But we, I've seen a, a lot of times, church, we get caught up in this whole, let's try to figure out the hour. If I just knew the hour, I could reverse engineer a pathway to ministry. We're going to knock that off. What Malachi 4 is telling us to do, what he's called them to do, is to worry about God. Get God in the right place. Someone comes to you and says, man, I'm terrified about the end of the world. When I was a kid, nuclear war scares me to death. Well, you need to know who Jesus is. Because there's a peace and a joy and a, and a calm that transcends all that. Well, that, that kind of peace and calm would almost transcend human understanding. That's exactly what it does. The Bible tells us that. We need to trust, just like they did in this time, that what God said is true. Jesus is enough. False hope is false teaching, and we should avoid it. If, if you don't know how it ends for false teachers by now, go back and listen to some old sermons. It's not good. False teachers are, they're not held in high esteem by the Lord. They get double and triple and ten times the dose of punishment of other sinners because it wasn't good enough for them to sit in sin. They now led others into the same place. And when we tell people things that we think we've divined from the Bible or I figured something out that's a secret code that's going to give you more time or a secret way to avoid tribulation or whatever, we are, we are guilty of teaching them untruth. That's a bad place to be. Third, we should keep the law and not compromise it to appease. Uh, sadly, we're not that different from the, uh, the Jews of Malachi's time. We want to ignore certain pieces of Scripture and substitute our own ideas. Now, I'm not saying those of us here. I'm just saying mankind. We love the idea that God was close, but, you know, he, was, he wrote, the, this Bible was written so long ago that he doesn't know what it's like today. God didn't anticipate this today. And he had no idea it was going to be like so-and-so or like this, or that we had cars or planes or could travel all over the world. God couldn't have possibly known about the Internet, and that somehow changes things. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you 100%, it does not change anything. It's tempting because what we want to do is keep doing what we like, but somehow convince ourselves that God must like it too. Worse than that, we do this to make others feel better about their sin. I don't know about anybody else here, but I've justified bad behavior in my life since as long as I can remember. But there's, a, there's, a, there's another diabolical side of this. If I start errantly justifying other people's sin, when somebody comes to me with an honest question, perhaps, maybe it's a pointed question, it doesn't matter what it is, and they want to hear from me the thing that they want to hear, their ears really itching. And I could say something like, the Bible is clear. God doesn't make garbage, and you can do whatever you want. That would be a lie. That's false teaching. Not only that, but I'm giving them false hope. I've compromised the law. They have left me thinking, great, I must be okay. It's not true. The law is very clear, and the Bible is very clear about certain subjects. Sin is one of them. We are all guilty of it. No man, good, not, not one. Those things got to be squared up. When we talk about keeping the law, we keep it for ourselves. That's great. But if what we want to do is attract other people to the truth of Christ, then we have to teach the truth of Christ. And the Word is the Word is the Word. If we start vivisecting parts of it away, if we start re uh, retranslating it and re-paraphrasing it or whatever we have to do in order to make us feel better about ourselves, uh, the way that make, our, make other people feel better about themselves, try to be more appealing to a world that, that wants to hear what the world wants to hear, then we put ourselves in a position where we are no longer keeping the law. We've now abandoned the law and become false teachers. But I, I will say this at the end. Beloved, we, are call, we are, aren't called to bludgeon sinners, but we must speak truth. There is a fine line. 
walking around and telling people who don't know who Jesus is that they are in sin and you're a sinner and you need to fix your sin is not true. That is not keeping the law. They need Jesus. That's what they need. A sinner that has kicked off four or five sins through hard work and effort and, and you know, 12 steps and all the kind of stuff they've got to deal with, but they don't know who Christ is, is no better off when it comes to the things we're talking about today. Jesus is the difference. We must keep the law and not compromise it to a piece. He, we see a call here to Moses, and we know the fullness of the law. The fullness of the law was Christ. He came and fulfilled it. So when we say, let's keep the law, what we want to do is keep the truth of Christ. We want to keep Christ, all the things that he did, all the things that he taught, everything. All that needs to be, 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 be kept intact. And if we start picking it apart, all we do is uh, condemn ourselves and others. And lastly, we should long for heaven and not mourn for earth. So many Christians approach death with such sadness. Now, I'm not talking about death of others, okay? I've, I've lost people very close to me. It is very sad. <laughs> Grief is reasonable. It's rational. It's appropriate. Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept before he resurrected somebody. He knew that he was going to be back. But the state of things is troubling. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us approaching our death. If my death brings to me such sadness that I can't even comprehend it, something is not right. I, have, I've, I don't fully understand what's going on when I die. Now, I know there's a lot of things on this earth. There's loose ends, and there's insurance payments, and things like that. I get all that. But I'm talking about, after, once that's aside and I'm out of here, what am I afraid of? What am I so sad about? Oh, you're gonna, and I've heard it before. I'm going to miss my family. I wanted to see so-and-so get married or graduate or have kids or whatever. I'm thinking, <laughs> the moment you see the face of Jesus, you will not care about any of that anymore. Now, if you hear that and you think, well, that's good. John Piper had a great sermon where he talked about all the stuff in heaven, but Christ isn't there. Do you still want to go? A lot of people are probably like, well, it's better than this place. Well, that's true. But if your passion, if your zeal, if your desire to be with Christ is that indifferent, that really what you want is just no, no, is no suffering? Please take some time to get back in the Word. It may not be Jesus that you believe in. It may just be uh, an absence of suffering or something. Now, I will say there's a biological bent to survive. So avoiding death is reasonable. Uh, just like self-flagellating to invoke suffering so you can draw close to Christ is not what we're called to do. We aren't called to be cavalier. We're not called to go jump off roofs to prove that God can save us or smite us as he sees fit. No, we should get out of traffic. We should, you know, take proper precautions to survive. But when we talk about something like the day of the Lord, there will not be any way to survive. When the world, when the earth is incinerated completely, there's nothing between you and incineration. But a sadness for things missed on this planet is misplaced. It's like weeping over a dropped dollar when a fortune awaits. Who cares? Now, how could you say that? This is my baby, and they're getting ready to do something. Great. If you're here for it, awesome. Invest the time. Enjoy it. Take the pictures. Celebrate it. But if you're not here, <laughs> you will not care. Well, I'll still care. I hope not, right? Because when you're in the face with the presence of the Lord, all this stuff will be completely taken. The old has gone, and the new has come. That means something. It may be hard for us because we love what we see on this earth. We love our spouses and we love our kids. But the idea that leaving this behind is going to be gut-wrenching compared to being in the presence of Christ 
is a problem. In church, I'm not saying when you hear this, you're like, man, I've never really thought about that, but yeah, it's, I really would miss my family. Like, I, okay. You, what you're thinking about is if, if your family was taken away from you today in this world and the, the way that you are today, if my family was taken from me, I would miss them a great deal. Because you know what I would be? Short of family. But this is not that. <laughs> when we talk about death, when we talk about our death, we move to paradise. We now have a family. We have a savior, a father. And, and, and I mean, it's all, everything you need is right there. All of it. You're, you want for nothing in that place. So what about us? Fundamentally, if you want to show the world the truth, we must believe it. If what I'm saying to you sounds good, but you don't buy it, please chat me up. Malachi wanted us to know that our suffering is temporary. When we talk about the end of the world, this means this will all be handled. Everything will be squared away. There'll be no loose ends. There'll be no unpaid bills. There were, nobody got by God, and the, the guy that did all the evil doing made it into heaven somehow because, you know, God turned his back for a second. And, you know, that's not what's going to happen. Everything that we do will be temporary. Justice will come at God's command by God's means. This is important for us. I want to make it very clear again. This, is, this message and, and what Malachi is talking about is not a call to, for us to go out there, draw our swords, and start exacting some justice. No. If you want to, if you want to leave this building and do something effective to, to fulfill Malachi 4, tell the world the good news about Jesus Christ and what he did. That, that's the only thing we're called to do. God will take care of the rest of this at, at his command and by his means. We just need to keep our eyes on our God. Not the world's God, not our desires. It's the God of the Bible, the God that we say is God. That's what we focus on. So, do you know someone who's terrified of dying? Give them some good news. I try to talk to, I got some, some family members that sometimes, you know, they get a little lost in this. They get a little lost in this. They, they fear death. Uh, now, I'm not talking about I don't, want to, I don't want to endure pain. That's reasonable and rational. If a steamroller is coming at me, I'm going to move. I will not stand in front of the steamroller and say, I do not fear death. Paradise awaits and get crushed to death. And No, that's not going to happen. That would be silly. But the notion of whatever comes to pass, whatever suffering we endure between here and death, maybe, maybe, maybe caustic, but death itself, if that's terrifying, the great unknown or whatever, it's not unknown. It's right here. Are you terrified of dying? Remind yourself of the good news. If you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, then it's just doubt, and it creeps in, and, we, and it gets the better of us occasionally. But remind yourself. And if you can't quite get from A to B, holler at one of us. We'll sit, we'll sit down. We'll go over this. It's good news. Are you ready for heaven but concerned about loved ones here? Do the needful to have them ready. I'm not going to say spend everything. Don't worry about it. You don't need to care about anybody else when you're dead. When you die, it's everyone else's problem. No, that's not what I'm saying. If you have the means to protect the people that you're with in the un unlikely event that you die or whatever, do that. But also, give them the good news that, hey, it'd be great if we were all in heaven together. When I, at one of my mother's memorial things we did, um, everybody was, was telling stories, and I, I shared, um, if you ever want to see my mom again, you uh, desperately want you to meet Jesus. Because that's the only way you're going to get to see her is if you know him. Now, that's simple. And I, my, it was a simple message for some simple folk, to be frank. But if, if what we care for are the people that we leave behind, they've got to know Christ. 
and you've got what it need, what, what you've got the means to do so. We just got to let them know. Let them know the truth. And then lastly, are you ready for Jesus' return? You know, if we sing that song, even so come, and like, man, I don't know. Even so come, and give me a couple more years, right? I got to get my act together. I wanted to do some things. I never went water skiing, and I never, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, we got to put that stuff away. We got to put that stuff away, and we got to be excited for Jesus' return. If you are not excited, if you're not ready, if you're not comfortable with the, the coming of Christ and the end of things and the day of the Lord, please talk with us. I've got really good news. Really good news. That good news is that Jesus Christ has done everything that's required. He came, he lived a perfect life, he was a son of God, fully God, fully man, went to the cross, died on that cross, bore the wrath of God for all sins. They are all paid for for all time. Then he overcame death, sits at the right hand of the Father, and waits. If you're hearing my voice, that's grace. That's mercy. Another day to hear the truth if you don't know it. If you are not ready for Jesus' return, get ready, and we're happy to help you do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thankful for this time of worship today, Lord. Thankful for an opportunity to share the good news, to think about the, the challenge, perhaps, that the end of the world faces, not just in the, in the, at the, the, for the world at large, but also all of us as believers, Lord. It's difficult sometimes to face the end of things. But Lord, those of us that believe, those of us whom you have called, foreknew and elected to be yours, know that this is not the end. The day of the Lord is a, is a day compared to eternity. The end of the world is the beginning of eternity, Lord. That should excite us. And it should drive us to look at a world who is so terrified of what may come next and let them know the truth that what comes next is going to be incredible. I thank you for this time together, Lord. I once again want to lift up uh, Mike and Leah. We pray for safe travels. Look forward to getting to see them soon and help us all to have a great week. It's in your sons, I pray. Amen.